Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. We're going through the Psalms, and this morning I'm preaching on the Psalm that we just sang with our musician, Psalm 18. It has 50 verses, and I'm going to go through the first 19. I'm not sure if we'll come back next week or not. Uh, But let us hear the Word of God as it's recorded for us in Psalm 19. This is the Word of God, and it is eternally true. Not 19, 18, sorry. Did I say 19? Psalm 18. For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked, and the fountains of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils, and fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down. With thick darkness under his feet, he rode upon a cherub and flew, and he sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him, darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him passed his thick clouds, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them, and lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. Then the channels of water appeared, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. This is the word of the Lord. So we have as the preface, those words at the top of before verse 1. At the preface, it says, for the choir director. And so we know that this is to be a psalm that is sung. So this is a sung prayer. It's for the choir director. A psalm of David. So David wrote it. And then David himself writes, a servant of the Lord. Remember a number of years ago, Adam, who gets all of us into trouble. How many of you have been gotten in trouble by Adam? I mean, he just spends his life getting me in trouble. And he invited me to come on campus and to speak 
with an ethicist, and you know what an ethicist is, right? An ethicist is someone who specializes in making wrong right and right wrong, all right? And then a professor of medical something or other, and a law professor, and, and, and then there was going to be me. And I was there to speak on the subject of whether or not old people should be starved to death, all right? And I was just trying to think, you know, Adam asked me, and of course you have to do what Adam asks you to do because he's always ahead of you in the battle. And so I was trying to think, well, what on earth am I going to say? Because everybody there is going to say, and isn't it sweet, there's the pastor. And so I said this. I said, I'm here to represent God. I have taken vows to submit to him and his word. And so all I'm going to do is tell you what God says. And I'm under authority, and that's what I have to do. And it wasn't a very proud thing to say. I'm sure they thought I was being proud, you know. Oh, you speak for God. Oh, well, bully for you, you know. I wasn't trying to be proud. I was trying to explain to them that it wasn't my preferences or my thoughts or or any of my sentiments that I was going to talk about. I was just going to try to be faithful to Scripture. Well, that's what David's doing. What David is doing is saying a psalm of David, and then he describes who he is, right? A servant of the Lord. Now, mind you, this guy's the king of his nation. This is the most respected, honored king that Israel ever had. And what he chooses to tell you as you read his prayer, his sung prayer, his song, his psalm that you're about to read, what he chooses to tell you is a slave of God, a slave of Yahweh, the God of Israel, a slave. Okay? And so you know that the words that come after that are simply his submission to God. And so all the people of Israel were willing to submit to King David. Why? Because he was a slave of God. And he submitted to God. And so nobody was really submitted to David. Everybody is just submitted to God. And if you have a king who says, a slave of Yahweh, a slave of God... It's not real burdensome to obey him, right? It's not real burdensome to give him taxes, right? He's not going around the kingdom writing Trump on every building he builds, right? A slave of God. All right, so we can all breathe a sigh of relief. He's just a slave of God. He's not after us or our money. He's just doing what pleases God. Who spoke to the Lord the words of this song? So this, these are my words. This is my psalm. This is my song. This is my praise song to God. A servant of God. I'm just singing praises to God. And here's when I did it. In the day that the Lord delivered him, he's speaking about himself, from the hand of all his enemies. So he wrote this psalm in the day when God delivered him from all his enemies. Now, what day was that? You know how every psalm we come to, all the students of Scripture come up with, well, this happened 
when he was slobbering and acting like a madman. And this happened when he committed adultery, although that one's clear because it does say at the top. And this one was when Saul threw his javelin, his, his spear at him. And this one, and so here David actually tells us when he wrote this one. And it was in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies. Now, that's kind of weird, isn't it? In the day, singular, one day, that God delivered him from all his enemies. So is there some time in David's life when on that day God delivered him from all his enemies? No, there isn't. And so what David is saying here is, in the day when finally I had peace. Now what day would that be? Well, we know because this psalm, and it's an entirety, appears someplace else in Scripture. This psalm appears in 2 Samuel chapter 22. There are a few little wording changes, but 2 Samuel 22 is exactly the text of Psalm 18. Now listen to how 2 Samuel 22 begins. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. So we're dealing with the same song, the same psalm of praise. And so here in 2 Samuel 22, we have a much clearer chronology, a much clearer date to fix it to. Now, why is that? Well, because here's how the next chapter of Scripture begins. So you got 2 Samuel 22, and then you got 2 Samuel 23. So right after this psalm, in 2 Samuel, these words are written. Verses 1 and 2 of 23. Now, these are what? The last words of David. So this is what he writes right as he's dying, as he looks back over his whole life. That's why he says, from all my enemies. He's surveying his entire past. God has delivered him from all his enemies. This is the day. And then it says, the last words of David, David the son of Jesse declares, the man who was raised on high declares, he's speaking about himself being put into the kingship, He was raised. He didn't raise himself. He was raised by God, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and he refers to himself as the sweet psalmist of Israel. The sweet psalmist. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. Okay, now, let's go back to Psalm 18. For the choir director, it's to be sung, it's musical, a psalm of David, a praise song of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of the song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, and he said. Now, why Saul? Well, because Saul was his principal enemy. You know, Absalom was an enemy. There were uh, all kinds of enemies in David's life. He had Goliath, isn't it? But above them all, it's Saul. Saul's the one that's searching for him in the wilderness. Saul's the one that tries to kill him when he's playing his harp in Saul's presence to comfort Saul. And Saul takes his javelin and tries to kill David, right? Saul's the preeminent enemy. And David says, I wrote this to praise God for delivering me from the hand of all my enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, 
So how does he begin? Verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. This guy's a wuss. Because real men don't talk like that. (coughs) They might have to say it on the anniversary. If they remember. But they certainly will never say it to their son. I mean, disgusting men tell their son that they love him. Those aren't real men. Real men don't tell their sons they love them. They know it. You don't have to say it. Real men don't say it. Right? Right? Wrong. And if real men don't say it to their sons, you know they don't say it to God. I mean, think of a lot of men here today. Can you even conceive of them saying to God, let alone writing to God, let alone writing a poem to God, let alone writing a poem and telling the musicians to set it to music and sing it in front of the whole congregation. And this is what they put down on paper. I love you, O Lord, my strength. I mean, that's just disgusting. Honestly. Look, Look, people, we know this stuff. We don't have to say it. It's so embarrassing to say it, right? Isn't it? I mean, if it's embarrassing to say it to your son and you can't bring yourself to say to your son, I love you, then who on earth would say it to God, let alone publicly? Now, I'm being facetious. I'm being ironic. I'm I'm poking you. Why is it that men can't declare their affection and love? Why can't they do it? Is it because they're so full of love that it just is bollocked up inside them? No, it's because men love themselves, and they can't even think the thoughts of their children. They can't even think the thoughts of their children. They're so focused on themselves that they don't think to say the one thing to their children their children need to hear. And that is, I love you. And listen, men, that's pathetic. It's disgusting. That man is in a prison of his own making, and that prison's name is pride. Make no mistake about this. The godly man is tender. He is a sweet psalmist. (laughs) And nobody is stronger and more masculine. Nobody is more manly. Nobody is more bloody than the sweet psalmist, David. Do you remember what David's like? (laughs) this man that you look down on because he's, I love you, oh Lord. What a pathetic man, right? Well, this pathetic man, do you remember what he did? Do you remember his courage? Do you remember how bloody he is? you remember how the women of Israel, when David and Saul came back into the city, do you remember what they all sang? The song they sang was, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was the king, and they're singing 
The king has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. I love you, O Lord. What a wuss, right? Is he a wuss? <laughs> no. David is no wuss, right? David's a roofer. He's a sheetrocker. David is a man. He plays the organ. He doesn't screw around with the guitar. I mean, you know, we can set the musicians out on a level of manliness. You know? Sorry, Aaron. But Claudia? Claudio is, he's a man. Listen, David is a man's man. David is a man's man. He's not at the gym. He never sweats unless he's fighting. And he doesn't watch the NFL. And he certainly doesn't watch boxing. David doesn't get kicks out of what he does for a purpose. Do you understand this? Do you understand this? David doesn't watch movies about Beowulf. He doesn't translate it. David is the man who kills the dragon. He doesn't need to talk about dragons and have narratives about dragons. Because David's entire life is what? What's David's life? You just heard it. It's all conflict. If David gets up in the morning, he knows what's coming to him. There is going to be another wicked man who will attack him. That's his life. Calvin on this says, look, disengage yourself from the notion that life is going to be a bed of ease if you're a Christian. Forget it. As a Christian, what you should always be doing is preparing for conflict. Calvin says, when you have peace, don't waste it by relishing it. Use it to strengthen yourself for what about is about to hit you. Right? There is no DMZ in the life of a real Christian. There's no demilitarized zone. There's no place where you can live in a sort of cushy kind of Facebook kind of like world. You can't do it. Like, you know, as a Christian, you're going to be in conflict. Now, I've been talking about men. Let's talk about women for a second. Women who are Christian are going to have conflict, okay? You're just going to have it. As a woman, you will start by having conflict with your own sinful desires. Okay? This is just like a duh. It's normal for women to have to fight what? To have to fight jealousy. It's normal for women to have to fight bitterness. It's normal for women, women to have to fight fear. This is why Scripture commands wives to go ahead, submit to your husband, and to not be afraid. <laughs> what is the problem with submission? Well, because you're vulnerable to the one you submit to, and he's such a jerk. So don't be afraid. 
You're in God's hands. You remember I said that when you're under King David, you're okay because he's a slave of God. You have a husband that's godly. You submit to him. Don't be afraid. He will make mistakes. He will sin. But don't be afraid. And then we have the issue that Scripture says that women shall be saved through childbearing. And if you have conflict nowhere else in your life, but you're married and God gives you the gift of a child, guess what? That is war. Huh? It's war. The reason men go to battle to protect the wife and the children is the wife has already gone to battle to give you a child. She's gotten bloody. Her body has been broken by the childbearing and the childbirth. There is absolutely no reason that men should ever require her to go to war again to protect them, the husband and the children. You see... The life of a woman is a life of conflict. She has to fight her husband about his sin. Right? She has to fight her children about their sin. Where would I be without my mother having fought my sins? And let me tell you, it wasn't pretty. So look, I'm talking about David. He's a man. I'm talking about manliness. I'm talking about courage. But there is a courage and a faith in women that requires them to trust God for getting pregnant, to trust God to get married, to trust God to submit to a man, to trust God to submit to elders. <laughs> you know? How scary is that? There's a battle for women to silence their anger and irritation with their children day after day after day after day as they raise their children. The life of a Christian is a life of repentance. The life of a Christian is a life of battle, of war, of conflict. The life of a Christian is a life of enemies. You can't begin to enter into the Psalms of Scripture until you have conflict in your life because you love God. The Psalms make no sense if you don't have any conflict in your life because you love God. You can mouth it, you know, you can memorize it, you can say, wasn't that a great song that the musicians gave us? But your, your heart's not going to beat with a sort of guttural, earthy, ba-boom, 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 which perfectly matches the words of this psalm if you don't have any conflict in your life because your whole life is clean. Your whole life is about avoiding conflict. So the blues mean nothing to you. You've never been a slave to nobody. You've never described yourself as a slave of God. You've never had poverty. You've never tried to... Well, let's listen to, to David describe his life. Here's how David describes his life, right? And then ask yourself whether the blues is a good medium to describe this. And then it happened, 1 Samuel 17, when the Philistine, now you know who this Philistine is, right? It's Goliath, the giant Goliath. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. 
And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead. Now, this is not how a woman would write it. But every man loves that sank part. So that he fell on his face to the ground. No woman would write it that way. It's enough that he died. Or better yet, it's enough that David didn't get killed. <laughs> we, what we'd like is David not to get killed without anybody dying. He sank, the stone sank into his fort, so he fell on his face to the ground. And that's where women would stop this story, but since we're men, let's keep reading. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. Well, so you see, the men like that part. And so it says it again. Struck him and killed him. Ba-doop-ba-boom. Ba-doop-ba-boom. You know. Ba-da-ba-boom. Now, which medium is better for this psalm? Come on, think about it. Okay, I'm, I'm not done yet for, for you who are men. But there was no sword in David's hand. Oh, we got a problem here, no sword in David. Why is it a problem that there's no sword in David's hand? Well, you women, cover your ears just for a second. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, you know, like LeBron standing over dreaming. And took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him again. Now he's dead three times. Killed him again. And cut his head off with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, and David was standing over him and just cut his head off, and the stone was deep in his forehead, you know, like the other guy that the hilt of the sword is deep in his belly. Isn't that something that the Bible, inspired by God, would give us this stuff? I'll bet doctors don't even say this to each other. They fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way to Shariim. Bodies everywhere. Even to Gath and Ekron, the sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. <laughs> Yikes. Then David took the Philistines' head, Sand's body, and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his weapons in his tent. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to guarantee you that every little boy loves that story. And I'm going to guarantee you that every little girl doesn't quite. The Psalms are written by a warrior, and war is the theme throughout the Psalms. And the point of it is not so that David can write his name on the castle. 
The point of it is, this is God's glory. What is God's glory? God's glory is the death of Goliath, the stone deep in his forehead, the head cut off and carried to Jerusalem. And until you get it that here on earth this is the glory of God, you'll never understand hell. And if you don't understand hell, you'll never understand heaven. Because every man or woman or child who is in heaven is a miracle. Because what we all deserve is what Goliath got. That's who you are. That's who I am. We all deserve to go on the ground and have our heads cut off and be cast into Sheol, into hell. And we've got to stop worshiping and praying to God as if God is like, what, what's the name of the, an American girl doll? You know? You know what I'm talking about. You go into the church to worship and every single song is, I love Jesus, Jesus loves me, Jesus help me feel your love. I love Jesus, Jesus, I have a passion for Jesus and Jesus has a passion for me. You know what I'm talking about. It's all subjective. It's all emotional. It's all like, you know, hug, hug, let's hug each other and just hang out with each other and try not to smell each other's breath. The breath should be a clue. We are walking corpses, except through God's salvation. And this is the one that's writing the psalm. This is David. He's a man of blood. He's bloody. You know, among the pastors, we refer to other pastors we respect. And do you know how David Carell has taught us to refer to them? We have this thing where we divide pastors up, and it's a very simple division. And the division is this. The highest approval goes to the man we refer to as a bloody man. Now, we don't literally mean that he's bloody like David. What we mean is he's a man whose life is defined by standing for God and his word, and so people hate him. He's a bloody man. And those are the men that we respect. Does this make sense to you? I mean, who's respected in the NFL? It's not the, it's not the quarterbacks. It's J.J. Watt. It's, it's, it's the guys that, that, that tackle you or the guys that keep you from being tackled. And you don't know any of their names. All you know is whether they're bloody men. I mean, you know, you have to give a little bit of respect to uh, what was the name of the dude? Um, you know, piercing hair. Who? Yeah, you have to give a little bit of respect to Dennis Rodman. That guy was awesome when he played basketball. He just zip it and take it all off, you know. But man, what a defender. What a rebounder. What a scrapper. You know why people love watching college basketball instead of professional because professionals don't scrap. You watch people watching March Madness, and you know what they all say? 
Look at them on the floor. The ball goes loose. All the college players dive for the floor. Can you imagine LeBron James diving for the floor, his eminence? Listen, everywhere you go, men respect bloody men. Everywhere. They respect the man that cleans the toilets. They respect the man that milks the cows. They respect the man that has calluses on his hands. They respect the pastor who has people who hate him. They respect the NFL player who hits hard. And here we have the greatest hero the people of God have ever had, which is King David. And we have a book of 150 psalms. And the theme of them is conflict. And we can't enter into the conflict, we can't enter into the worship of psalms until we stop trying to protect ourselves from conflict. I remember a couple leaving church a number of years ago, and they were trying to decide whether to stay here at church. And the thing that was noteworthy about this couple was both of them were just beautiful. You know what I'm talking about. Not a hair out of place on either of them. Stood straight, looked you right in the eye. Just so sweet and pretty, that woman. And after they had been here for quite a while, one Sunday they were alone, and as they walked out, I said to them, I said, you know, the problem with the two of you is that what you really are committed to is being perfect and having people think you're perfect. And listen, you can't look like that and live for God. You see somebody who looks perfect and their home is perfect and their job is perfect and their, and, and, and their pickup truck gets washed out on the driveway every Saturday? No way. You can't be perfect and live for God. You can't do it. The only way you can live for God is to go around confessing your sins. You just can't live any other way for God. Either you're busy protecting your reputation and everybody knows you're a jerk, or you're admitting your sin, but you're sinning in the direction of honoring God, and so people will hate you. And you'll feel bad about it, but the life of faith is the life of being a scandal to the watching world. You just can't escape it. How do you live in the hospital without seeing the people that are being starved to death? You know what's going on. Everybody that works in the hospital knows what's going on. I'm just a pastor. I know what's going on. How many times I've had to confront our pharmacist who was, who was an elder up in Partyville, the people that work at the nursing home. You know what's going on. How can you live for Christ and act like you don't see the people that are being starved to death in nursing homes? The people who nobody wants to spend the time feeding them because they can't feed themselves, and so they get lighter and lighter and lighter. The little children with spina bifida that are shipped out to Oklahoma and left in cribs to die with no medical care. We all know this is going on. How many of the babies, like Anastasia, are even brought to term today? You know, all those babies are killed in the womb. They knew the diagnosis before. 
And all the medical people that worked with them, probably a lot of them would have been relieved if Shelley and, and, and Chris had just said, well, why don't we terminate the pregnancy? How do we live in this world without having enemies? Tell me. And you say, well, you know, I happen to live in the nexus of, of Easy Street and Beautiful Avenue. And I myself am beautiful. And I go, well, you know, happy you. <laughs> I don't live there. And you say, well, yeah, but you're a loudmouth. And I say, well, that's true. But sometimes I'm a loudmouth for God. And sometimes I get in trouble. Sometimes people hate me for that, right? Sometimes people hate me for that. And not just because I'm a loudmouth. How do you live without conflict? How do you manage that? I don't get it. I bet if I came into your life, I could find where you have an opportunity to be just like David and you don't take it. Right? I bet that when David wrote Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and then I will teach sinners your ways. Or then I will teach, how does it go? And sinners will be converted to you. I bet since he wrote that after adultery and murder, okay, after he committed adultery and murder, I bet that when David wrote that psalm, the kingdom of Israel was filled with people who despised him for that psalm, starting with all the women. Yeah, it's so easy for David. He commits adultery, he commits murder, and then he trots out Psalm 51 for all the world to see. I bet the women of Israel were tempted, and I bet a bunch of them despised David for Psalm 51. I only had to listen to Stephen for five minutes this morning, and I had everything I need for the coming week. Because in Sunday school, Stephen was teaching on how repentance is a gift of God. And you know, there is no greater gift from God than repentance. And you know it's a gift from God because you know how you fight against it. I mean, the things we'll do to avoid, you know, oh, the things we do for love. No, 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 no. The things we do to avoid repentance. <laughs> you know? The church should be a place where those who have been assaulted by the wicked and those who have been assaulted by their own consciences, and those who have been given the gift of repentance, those that God has protected and vindicated are honored. We don't honor people because they're wealthy. We don't honor people because of their degrees. We don't honor them because they have 10 children or homeschool perfectly or whatever it is you want to honor people for. We honor those who are repentant. Can you imagine going into a hospital for burn victims like St. Jude's and the people you honor are the doctors that have no burns? Who do you honor in a hospital for burn children? The whole hospital revolves around the burn children. 
If there are tears, they're for the burned children. If there's work, it's for the burned children. If there's money given, it's for the burned children. And that's the church. The church exists for those who are suffering under the attack of the evil one. And that attack sometimes is Goliath who makes fun of our God. Sometimes that attack is because they're a doctor that won't give in to starving old people. And yeah, he's a doctor, but he's weak. And so we honor Adam Spadey in this church. And we love to be led by him and disciplined by him because he's weak, because Adam's a bloody man. And we hope our sons will grow up to be as bloody as Adam. And there's no higher calling, none. We want our women honored in this church. We want the mothers who struggle against their anger and irritation with their children every day and just gave birth. We want them honored and there's no higher calling for our daughters. We want them to grow up to be mothers. Not because we oppress them, but because there's no higher calling. Who suffers more than a mother? I'm done. And I haven't gotten into verse 1. Well, I did. Verse 1, he loves God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. One God. And what? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy strength, with all thy soul. This is, this is a church where we don't mind being sinners and we love repentance and we love the weak and the oppressed. We love the ones that God has to save again and again and again and again. And that's the rest of the psalm. David just talks about how God saves him again and again and again and again. And the really scandalous thing about this psalm is in the middle of it, there are a whole bunch of verses where David describes God's anger at the people that are oppressing David. <laughs> and it is intense. And David is very particular in describing precisely what God does when he's angry at those attacking David. It's unbelievable. So, You know, as I'm preaching, the three of you sitting there. You know, you love your children. You all love your children. And you suffer. <laughs> and God knows we don't. But boy, has it inspired us this week to see you suffer. When we, go, when we go out to eat, that's what we talk about. 
And it's such a beautiful thing to us. Remember, Mary, we sang to me that you just can't even figure out what to do, what to say. Nothing you do seems right to you. And that's such a perfect description of the life of a Christian. You know. So we honor you. So let's come to the Lord's table.